You're listening to the Tennis.com podcast, and here's your host, Ed McGrogan. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. This is not day 15 of the Australian Open. This is the Australian Open wrap-up podcast. I'm Ed McGrogan here once again through the last 14 days in New York. I'm joined this time by Pete Bodo, Richard Pagliaro, whose voices haven't graced the podcast in a few weeks, uh, so we're, we're eager to hear their opinions on the uh, on a, quite an extraordinary uh Really, whole tournament of tennis, not just the weekend. Even though I think that was the, you know, that was such a great punctuation to it all. Yesterday, I gave uh, my thoughts. I gave a little soliloquy to the to the final when Steve was still uh, chasing down the press reports at three thirty a.m. over there, things like that. So I I kind of gave my piece on this Djokovic Murray final, or sorry. That's an error right there. Djokovic and Nadal final. We shouldn't speak too soon. There were like two finals, a Murray and a Djokovic. <laughs> yeah. They were absolutely. They just they both had that quality, and 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 actually both of the the reactions of the winners, it, it looked as if they had won a final. And even the same thing happened with Nadal when he beat Federer. They were all. If you didn't know better, you would be thinking that they won the tournament there. So. Well, with Nadal, he fell to his knees at that one point with Djokovic. Yep. Yeah, that so was just that, that was... Look, I'm, I like did a double take because I, I glanced away for a second. I said, "What? Nadal just <laughs> Nadal just win win the tournament?" That and was, was a, like no. uh, fourth set, I believe. Yeah, I think so. The, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Fourth remember set. in the fifth one, Djokovic after the tiebreaker, fell, the, fell yeah. to the ground like he was like, "Oh my god!" You know, right. he was had to come back from that emotion. Yeah, that fourth set actually, I didn't realize this until I um, until after the match. It was maybe just a little more engaging, but. The first set, I think everybody knew right away, was such a long. It was 80 minutes long. The fourth set was even longer in that match. And this match, as you know, five hours, 53 minutes, um, and just one of those matches that I think the the water cooler talk the next day really has the the same amount of chatter as, as what we what we saw with Nadal Federer a couple of years ago at Wimbledon. It's just one of those matches that, that did seem to carry across the uh, the entire sports landscape, I think. Yeah, this so, was really huge. I mean, I literally, like, I, I think between yesterday and today, I think four or five different people, like a neighbor who was going out for a run, hey, I saw that match. Did you watch that match? He said to me, I said, yeah, you know, I didn't even know this guy watched tennis. You know, uh, right. and, even you know the guy. that's the kind of thing you, you, you run into where, you know, people, you know, it's dog run this morning. I was out walking the dog, and one of the ladies said, dog run, said, wow, what a match. You know, so they come out of the blue. People People, were, people knew about it, that's for sure. Yeah, so so let's just drill into that match a little bit. Just give me any thoughts, any takeaways, maybe any thoughts that you had when you were watching the match that were really... Pete, you gave it a racket reaction yesterday. Richard hosted the chat yesterday on the site. Um, Richard has a ball... Richard has a game ball to give out. Yes, yeah. We, we, there is a, 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 a someone that deserves some credit for... Maybe maybe someone you didn't suspect. Yeah, so. you know, it, it might sound like a reach, but I really think if this was the NFL, Djokovic would be giving the game ball to his girlfriend because, she, you know, first of all, she's wearing red, so you see her wherever you are on the court. And for her to fire him up through two matches... You know, give him the fist. At one point, he made a bad error. She pointed to her head like, hey, think before you hit. And just constantly the the positive emotion and the fist and jumping out of the box. He really seems to feed off that box. I mean, you'll see him go to the box and celebrate right in front of the box. So Richard's thought, actually doing the celebration right now. <laughs> it's true, exactly. Yeah, we, we wish you could have seen. We wish, we wish there was a video cast. But, uh, yeah. I speak with my hands a lot, but I thought, uh, you know, I thought his whole box was incredibly again. supportive. And also, when you contrast it with Murray, I felt a little bad for Murray. I know, the, I know, talking to the semis you know, here. Right, yeah, right. I know Lendl's, you know, more restrained, but I thought his whole. I, I thought he to come back from two five and get to five all. I thought. Maybe, you know, maybe they give him a little bit emotionally in it. I mean, look, people say, hey, that's overrated. But when you're talking about a few points here and there and you're playing 30, 35 
shot rallies that that makes a big difference Richard, I can't, I can't really quibble with that. And, you know, I must say, I think that's a great observation. I mean, I saw Yelena Ristich doing the stuff she was doing, and I thought it was kind of cool and I, you know, great, but I never really connected it that way. And, look, it's kind of funny, though. Tennis is a sport where wives, girlfriends, entourages, trainers, all these people seem to come into play, or at least they get a lot of FaceTime on TV, and they get acknowledged and everything else. And, that, you know, which makes me think kind of, you know, this whole deal where Djokovic's parents are not, Right. really around and right. she's replaced his parents right. sure. now i don't know how back that goes exactly but you know uh you could start connecting dots here and say well you know maybe Djokovic's, you know part of his aura this past you know year basically has come from the fact that he's a little bit pushed to parents maybe right. to and the become background. his own man and coming his own man he's got his taken. woman there he's right. his own man sure. it's, it's it's there's some interesting stuff there and I he think. is an emotional even though he his it, it's ironic because he was so composed at the end of both matches but emotion is i mean to me the girlfriend is almost like what larry passo served with guga where larry passos incredibly emotive, fired up guy and Guga fed off that and I think it's a little bit similar with, with Yelena and, uh, and, uh, and Good points. For, for Djokovic uh, and, uh, the expectations were already so high after what he did last year and now this latest thing here which um, I think when when it was said I, I, I was thinking wow that's really kind of a, a snap judgment but people were already talking about how this this is clearly his his greatest moment, greatest slam win, which I really, thinking about it, can't really dispute a lot. I mean, it's it, it's so many years after his first win in Australia and last year. They obviously came against, you know, Nadal twice, Murray, but they were never had to be in this sort of, uh, this fashion just, to, just to, to, to snag another title when, you know, many people would have said, um, you know, given him the given him the the great effort for even coming up short here against Nadal after beating him six times ever. I guess what a, I guess Djokovic going forward. We've already hit on both the semi and the final. Really, what's what is next for Novak Djokovic? What what are kind of um, the prevailing thoughts about him the rest of the year? You know, what he can achieve and et cetera. Just anything you have to say about two him. words. Red clay. Yeah. And I don't mean next in terms of chronologically next, although it is chronologically next, but that's the grail for Djokovic now, I think, at this point. A couple of reasons. Number one, it, it totally it totally ends the Nadal conversation at some level. I feel bad for Rafa. I'm not taking, you know, I'm certainly not saying that with any pleasure or anything, but the bottom line is if he beats Rafa at the French Open, wins a title, especially in a final or something, you know, boy, that is huge. And he's shown that he could do it. He showed what he did with, with those two Masters final. Granted, they were best of three. French Open is best of five, but so, you know, th- th- it's set up like that is the big test for Djokovic now. And it was the same way as it was for Federer before Nadal really caught up and sort of eclipsed him. It was a little bit like, you know, well, you know, he's the greatest ever, but can he beat this kid who's so good on clay? So I think Djokovic has to go through that and do that himself. Yeah, the parallels are really amazing when you're seeing with how these one guy can beat the other who can't beat the other, et cetera. But, um... And then, by the way, it opens the door to a potential talk, premature though it still would be, but it would actually be a little more credible about the about a calendar year Grand Slam. This guy is capable of doing oh, it. Oh, he think. absolutely is. Yeah, I mean, he after really he, uh, he uh, of course has a chance to get four in a row at the French to get. I mean, there there's a lot of uh, ramifications if if he actually won the French and especially if he beat Nadal there. We, Career we get, Slam. And Career just slam. to kind of uh, you know follow up on that point, I think the thing with Nadal is you could always say, well, he'll get you on clay and he'll grind you, but you see where grinding gets him against Djokovic. It gets him close. It gets him to the edge, but it hasn't gotten him over the line. Seven straight losses. I think if anything, the grinding he's got to sort of go 
mix it up a little bit more. I don't think you can grind Djokovic if you're Nadal. I don't think that's going to work. I you know mean, what I, you, you play know, 30 ball rallies, a guy just still standing there, you know? You know what He's I'm not thinking going right, anywhere. What I'm thinking right now, I think I'm actually thinking that with all this talk about the top four guys and how, how I feel like the only uh, currency is slams at this point for uh, Djokovic. Uh, Nadal and Federer, I think that's already been long established. Djokovic, he even made a point to come out and say in his post-match presser that his focus for this year is the French Open, and, and, and I think rightfully so for so many reasons. Murray, that's all we talk about is when is he going to win a slam? Nothing else Murray does really matters. So I'm actually thinking now that the women have a pretty nice opportunity to sort of showcase what has come about through the Australian Open, um, and amongst their little shakeup really at the top themselves from this point until we get to the French Open. And maybe that momentum there kind of carries them in because I feel like with the men's tour, we're talking about Indian Wells, Miami events like that. I I almost think it's just like a been there, done that amongst all these four top guys. And, and what's really important in the end for the, for these four that are leading the game right now, and it's the majors and that's it. So I, I'm kind of uh, wondering what, you know, until the French Open happens, how do we view what these what these top four guys do? Does it really matter at all? And I, I do think there actually is a pretty good chance for the women to kind of uh, make a little bit of a, a surge here. In terms well, they already did make a surge. I mean, this was a great tournament for the women. Look, look at look at how the order's been turned upside down. What was it? Four, four, the, the top four spots changed position. Sharpo, is that right? Yeah. You yep, want, sure. Now, I think if I'm not mistaken, you got Azarenka, number one. You got Sharapova, number two. You've got Kvitova, number three. And Wozniak, number four, I, I think believe. Kvitova and Azarenka might be switched, but I know you're right on, you know, there is obviously such a huge shakeup with, for just for just alone for Wozniacki going out of the top spot, Ozarenka getting that top spot. I'll tell you honestly, it sounds like it's almost it sounds like almost like a more true reflection of the reality of who's who the best players are than the, the rankings when Wozniacki was on top. Yeah, I agree. I think the one thing the women the women need to deliver a great major final, and we haven't seen that in a mm-hmm. while. It's been straight set, straight set. I'm th- I think well, although you could say Kleister's Lena last year was was a good final, but I think if they can do that, because you've got the Azarenka Kvitova dynamic. Yeah, I think you. I, I think you need. You've got the per, You've got the game styles of personalities. You need a really compelling, exciting final. I think you need before that. You need to establish though um, a true packing order. I think most people at this point, um, even though Ozrenka, I think is is clearly deserved the number one spot. She won um, not only this tournament but Sydney the week before, which was a, a stacked field too. Um, what the men have going for it is they just have these rivalries that have built in and built so much momentum over the years, and it just keeps adding on and really and really has never waned in terms of uh, the appetite for them, really. But the women, we just don't know. It, it just fluctuates so much. But I think the you know the Kvitova-Azarenka thing does seem to have a lot of logical potential because of their ages and, and uh, you know how they won their, their first major. And they played major, like so. the Madrid final. They've played really good finals against each other already. You know, they played good matches. You know, you, know, you, know, good, you know what a couple of people have asked me, and it might be an interesting time to revisit this, is why don't the women play best of five? And you know what? Given how everyone's ramping it up, given how, you know, Azarenka's fitness, you know, is, you know, the, the women clearly are lifting games just like the men to keep up. They're, they're working just as hard in terms, you know, relatively speaking, in terms of working on their fitness. And so, that, you know, you know, women don't run like women don't run a 13 mile marathon. They run a 26 mile marathon. All right. And in no other area do you really have, you know, a disparity, I guess, you know between men and women so no other pro sport anyway i mean do the, i don't think the women play on a smaller soccer field do they 
No, there's no yeah, there's no handicaps for sure. So yeah. you know, it, it kind of is interesting. I mean, it, it might be worth revisiting revisiting that conversation. And, and I was just thinking one other thing too about these finals. I think I think one notable exception to that great final would be if um, no matter what they do beforehand, is if somehow Kim Kleisters and Serena Williams ended up meeting up at, at some point. But that's I think becoming less. Uh, you know, less likely, I think, as time passes. And that's by one here. of the things when we were doing the chats over the weekend, a few people were like, well, this this really marks the, the turning of the page from the Serena Kim era to the younger generation. I'm not sure I agree this year, only because I think the Olympics is the big carrot for Serena. That's the one thing she's never won is the uh, Olympic medal in singles. She's done it in doubles. And Kim also. So I think those two are not going to be phased out because of what happened in, in Melbourne. I think, if anything, you're going to see them try to peak for, you know, uh, Wimbledon and the Olympics. Yeah, but more women will go in there feeling confident sure. or feeling that they've got some hope against sure, them. Sure, but Serena Grass is pretty, pretty devastating. Yeah, it's true. Uh, well, even Venus. Uh, yeah. Venus days yep. fit. You know, Absolutely. that's, uh, you know, that... That could become a, a big thing. And the thing to me with Azarenka, I, she really, really surprised me. You know, I, I thought Sharapova was going to win this match. I don't mind being wrong. Happens all the time, as you guys know. But what really surprised me was what, what I didn't feel see coming. And I don't know if it's cause it wasn't because I watched Azarenka enough or, you know, whatever. I'm some deficiency in my perception. But the way she played that match against Sharapova, how, you know, how she was right up on that baseline, how she took everything on the rise, how she'd redirected the ball, you know, during rallies, you know, in, in Djokovic-like style, that was really eye-opening to me. I, I thought I was looking at a different player. You know, you know, my, my impression of, of Azarenka really going in was, that, yeah, she's great. She runs around like crazy on the baseline, hits the ball as hard as she can. Most matches, she runs off the rails, then she's got to get herself back on or she loses. And so it's little, she's very much like the slap shot artist. You know what? She closed out, she closed out the final six love, and this is someone who a, a year or so ago was up a set and four love at the same tournament against Serena Williams and capitulated there and melted down. So that, you know, even that, just keeping – keeping focus foot on the gas really that the things you really have to do to win at these events or else hey, you can draw a parallel between her and the young Djokovic when he was tapping out left and right with the breathing the sign I mean where he just yeah, yeah. could not go the distance and remember Azarenka and even in Indian Wells last year where she couldn't she couldn't get over the physical hurdle at some points whatever it was whether it was you know but but she did in a big huge way you know here and, and that could really empower her as it did Djokovic well, she either played the match of a lifetime and, you know, everything went right and we may never see it again from her, or she took her game to another level. I actually think that the game plan was really huge here. I don't know to what degree it was a coach's responsibility that he told her, you know, you know do this, do that. But I think the game plan was brilliant. I think she played it beautifully. And, you know, she went to another level in my eyes as a player anyway at this tournament. We'll see if she can play like that. And I got to be honest, I really thought she might crack, uh, you know, emotionally or mentally. But I think winning the tune-up where she beat top 10 players going in and the fact that she had handled Sharapova in Miami and Stanford, both finals, that had to really, you know, she gets down to love and then she just found it and, and really cranked it. Last part, uh, let's let's kind of end on the two players we haven't talked about that much but are going to be talked about for until until you guys don't stop talking about tennis this year and uh, that's Federer and Murray uh really just kind of where what this how what happened in Melbourne how that really shapes where their years go here if in if in any way or you know with Murray um I'd say for the majority most people took that as a as a very positive uh loss 
Um, but I, but I have read a lot of people, including Steve, who was down there, who said, you know, this is not necessarily a harbinger of something. Well, he is, he's, he's still on the upslope. He's getting closer. He's going to break through. Steve wasn't willing to, you know, to come out and say that. And I, and I, and I think there's a lot of debate whether, whether you think that um, Murray can take a, you know, a lot from this. Um, he did seem to be. Uh, he was certainly not sullen or down as presser. I think he was obviously looking at it from the positive approach too. So there's him, and then there's Federer, who um, I agree with what Pete has been saying about Federer. I think that's a really damaging loss in terms of where, um, you know, kind of where he goes because uh, clearly all that matters for Roger at this point is, is to build on is really to build on the the great record that he's established here and. It seems like he did so much to to build himself up to get to that match with Nadal. He just obliterates two very dangerous opponents in Tomic and Del Potro, and ends up losing to Nadal in four. And it's it's more like just hitting a reset button. And for someone who has done so much, and uh, you know, you wonder how many times he wants to start up that charge again because of what happened against Djokovic last year on multiple occasions, and now this. So. Let's just, um, you know, whoever wants to start and whoever you would like to talk about with, first. With Murray, I think it's it's ironic if you look at last year, he comes out of there his second straight final, but devastated and then couldn't win a match for weeks. Whereas this year he gets to the semifinal one step less, but he's almost like empowered by mm-hmm. it. Almost like, geez, look at the bright. I mean, so it's it's almost a mindset with him. I don't think he's going to go into that hangover in Miami or Indian Wells when he lost to Donald Young last year in Miami where I think if anything he's he's looking at it like I'm on the right track now even though that was a winnable match and he kind of let it let it slide I still think there's little technical things as far as you know coming in a little bit more using the forehand a little more well that force said let down or Rich yeah. I mean you know you can't you cannot play a no, guy like right. Djokovic Absolutely and have that right. kind of uh, Absolutely a letdown right. like that yeah. I mean, it was a little like you know we understood why right. at some level it became smart for him to marshal his resources for a Set, but you should never be in that position if you want to win these tournaments. The big thing for him was he was actually broken to lose that set, which was huge, I think, in the end. Um, yeah, because you're playing from behind. Yep, and, the, and you know, I, I guess from a mental point for Murray, um, you don't give sets to no guy, no back Djokovic true, and I, win Grand I, Slam I look at the other side that hey, you're down two five, you're just about dead in the water, and you come back to five all and have a chance at the. I mean, hey, Djokovic is down two four to Nadal. That's in, true. In, in the fifth, that's he's true. just about dead in the water. Repeat yeah. everything you just said, and what happens? wins a 4-3 game. Yeah, with, the, the with Nadal with a chance to make that 40-15, but that's that huge shot. That I guess he there. can hold his head high knowing, like, hey, I fought this guy for four hours even though it was a semi, whereas last year in the final I got steamrolled and I had no answer. No, that's right, no, and I, I agree I with you. It was that, a big He can look at it as, as progress that way, whether it is or not. You you know, obviously no, I think it was. No, I think it was. But we're talking here, really. We're not just talking about progress. Right. Progress is progress. Winning a Grand Slam, getting into position, especially with the way a guy like Djokovic is playing. You know, that's that's what you're really aiming for. And I think that was a, it was a little bit disappointing that that he, as well as he oh, played absolutely. and as tough as he was, absolutely. that he's sort of at that. You know, how critical is a four set? I mean, you know, when a guy, you know, so so that's a big deal. I but actually how much think, of that, Pete, do you think is game wise, and how much do you think is confidence? Where when when you need that big point, Djokovic has no fear of playing on the line. I mean, he's not pushing the ball. He's not playing slice and dice. He's not trying to... Djokovic is stepping up and wrapping the ball down the line. And maybe that's just confidence. I mean, is he that well, it's much... Part, it's part of it, but I mean, it's both, you know, and, and you got to be able to do both. You can't just... Right. You can't just go away for a set against a guy like Djokovic and expect to win the match. But my, my thing is that I, th- I think the big problem for both the two guys that, that he's talking about here, both Federer and Murray, 
I think the big problem is Nadal. I mean, Murray keeps saying it's not. Federer, we know what the deal is. But, uh, you know, I mean, you, w- before you even get to Djokovic, because yeah. these guys are going to have to yeah. beat Nadal before they get to Djokovic if they're hoping to do that. Before you even get there, you got to look at this roadblock. I mean, you know, Murray loses to him three times in majors last year. Nadal played great. You know, we forget. And, and like, you know, even if Murray would have beat Djokovic, I'm not convinced he would have beat Nadal. No, I don't, I don't no, think who he would? would? I mean, who, who would have said, oh, yeah, Murray's going to roll through Nadal? Right. I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's a very, very tough ask. And we see what, how horribly Federer matches up with Nadal. There you go. So that's that's Federer's problem in a sense, and Murray's problem too. So that so far he just can't break the Nadal code. Yep. Yeah. And for Murray, I, one last thing, I do think that if, if nothing else, the the Lendl, I guess, experiment at this point. Um, I, I think, I think he and many others rationalized that I think Lendl probably was a good contributor to what happened. So I think I I don't think that's going to be a distraction anyway. Where Murray loses a match and Murray loses early here, and they have, you hear all these questions about, oh, what what's Lendl doing there? So I think I think that has something to ground yeah, for him to keep going forward. Yeah, and for Federer, if you want to give any any last words a little more on what on why you think that Federer's um, really just you said I think you really put it that was a, just a a, a legacy defining. It was a legacy match with legacy, Nadal. Yeah, not a, defining, of course, because he's established that. But it, it's this thing that you cannot escape that he um, just couldn't get this done at this it's point. It's not even so much that this match will be looked at as a match that's important to Federer's legacy. But it would. It was. It's. It's almost. It's almost like if he, if the match had gone differently, he could have transformed his legacy. You know, he could have transformed it and said, you know, you know, no matter what happens in the future, and I have no doubt that he can get to another Grand Slam final, win another Slam even. But if he wins this match, he a little bit stems the tide of everyone saying, well, Nadal is caught up on every surface, you know, and there's no way Federer, you know. He would have beat him. He's he's always going to be five years old, but he would have beat him when he's 30. And so, which is, which nobody, I I think, would have guessed a little while ago when, when Nadal was just routinely taken Federer out of these matches. Yeah, that's so. exactly right. I mean, look, you're going to look at that and say if Federer had won this match, it, you know, he's going to be, he would have been viewed certainly by this generation with different eyes and probably by successive generations too. You can't discount that age factor too. And, you know, when you the reality is, the irony is, and you got to love this at some level, is that Nadal is getting a taste of his own medicine. Yeah. Nadal is experiencing what Federer went through, but with Djokovic. And, and, and the, the funny thing there is that they're the real rivals. These are the guys who were born very close to each other. There's just less than a year difference. The head-to-head is real close. Now, they're going to play an awful lot in the future if they both continue to play. And uh, he's going to be the real rival. Federer's going to end up looking better in retrospect out of that, despite the way Nadal has owned him, because he was playing still at 30. Hey, maybe Djokovic will get a taste of his own mess someday, and maybe Andy Murray will be that guy to do it. Who knows? Wouldn't that be sweet for the, the British Wouldn't fans? Wouldn't that be impossible? Yes. <laughs> but it would be sweet for the there British you go. guys. Yeah. So anyway... Uh, that's our little wrap up of the of the Aussie Open. Great tournament, great podcast, great company. We're all in a good mood. It's still the happy slam. And we need some sleep. We're, yes. We're still awake. Though. We do. All right. Thanks for listening. Tune in next time, tennis.com podcast. You've been enjoying tennis.com's weekly podcast. Thanks for listening. For all the latest news and events, head over to tennis.com. 